worship that is lifted up in this place, oh Lord Jesus. Let it be a sweet sound in your ears, oh God. Jesus, we worship you, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Church says, amen. Amen. You may take your seat. Amen. How are you guys doing this morning? Great. Great. We thank God you're good. A little sleep, a little slumber. Amen. Today we're going to go somewhere, and I'm not going to take too much of your time. Um, as Pastor said, my name is Michael, or most people call me Abeku. I'm in the Lynchburg branch. I'm one of the small boys in Lynchburg. And so, you know, it's a privilege and quite an honor to be here, Pastor. God bless you so much, and thank you for all the men of God in this place. I deeply, severely reverence a lot of people in this place. Last year was awesome. All the speakers that spoke were phenomenal. So it's such a, a privilege for a small boy like me to be here this morning, you know, to, to share the little bit that I have. But, but I hope that this morning I have something of worth or something of substance to bring to you. Just something little that, you know, you will take with you and you will go as far as God will take you with it. Amen? And so if you don't mind opening your Bibles to, to 2 Peter, my assignment for this morning is to grow in grace. My assignment this morning is to go in grace. And we'll take a very left turn and take, start very, very left field. But I promise we'll work our way backwards. So if, you know, if it's not connecting yet, bear with me. You know, eventually we'll all come together. Amen? Second Peter chapter 3. For this, say amen. For those who don't know, Second Peter is in the New Testament. So we don't judge, we don't make any assumptions. Amen? So I have come to a place in my life, <clears throat> I know most people will say I'm too young for this. I find it very hard to like, I love, I love reading, I love learning, I love always like, you know, studying and kind of just knowing more about the world, but I've come to a place where I find it very hard to like finish a book. Like, you know, I'll, I'll buy a book and I have, I'll buy, I buy books all the time, I'll buy a book, I'm like, this is awesome, this is a book about theology, this is a book about this, so, you know, I want to learn and kind of get more information, you know, just so when I have, when I'm having a conversation, I have something of substance to offer, but I've come to a place where it's hard, you know, as you start reading the book, you read about a few hours and you put it back in, so tomorrow I'll continue, next, you know, tomorrow I send to three days and four days and five days, and then you pick up it back up again and you have no idea, like, where you are, you know, so it's very hard for me to Take a book and like read all the way through. It'll take me months. And then sometimes I end up with like four or five books going on at the same time. So like literally hopping and scop and just, just hopping everywhere. So this summer I decided to try a different approach. And that's really to try to watch more documentaries. Because I figured if I, can, if I can sit down for 30 minutes and watch one. It's very short. Everything is concise. Usually they talk about everything they need to talk about within 30 minutes. So it's almost like chunk-sized information that, you know, I can kind of grasp. So bless God for Netflix ministry. I love Netflix. You know what I'm saying? We're we in there all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. Amen? And so there is this series that I watch. It's called Explained. And as the title suggests, the idea is that every week they introduce a new theme, a new topic, and a new idea. And, 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 and you know, they, they delve into it, and they kind of explain it from a scientific perspective, from a historical perspective. You know, and they talk about everything. They talk from stock exchange to blockchain, you know, technology to, to you know, DNA manipulation and just a whole bunch of things. And so far, it's been great. You know, there's been some that I love very much. There's been some that I was like, I couldn't really care about this. I don't care what K-pop is or, you know, smoking weed is about. Like, I don't care about that. You know, whatever. But there was one particular week 
where I was actually very upset about the topic. Like, it very, very much upset me because it was just like, Lord Jesus, this is how people think in the world. So, they, they, each week, they introduce a new topic. So, this week, that, that week, I go to check, and the topic is monogamy. The topic is monogamy. Monogamy, the idea that one person and another person commit to each other till the end. I'm like, okay, you got my curiosity. I'm curious to see where you guys will take this thing. Because, again, this is not a Christian documentary, so everything's explained from a worldly perspective. And so they started to speak, and this is the thesis or the premise for their argument under the topic of monogamy. That monogamy is not natural, and so therefore we should do away with it. I said, before you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. <laughs> now I'm curious to see how you're going to take this. And so they spent about 15 minutes delving into that idea, and, and, and their argument was based on three premises, three ideas. The first thing is, again, it's not natural because, well, one... As they claim, we come from monkeys. And so if you, we don't have much information about the cavemen and how they handled marriage. So our best reference is monkeys. And so when we analyze monkeys, we see that monkeys are not monogamous. Therefore, it's safe to logically conclude that human beings were not designed to be monogamous. I said, what a wow. God bless you for your, your logic. I appreciate you. Logic, no common sense, but it's okay. Their second argument is that once the idea of marriage or new relationship dating was established, the purpose of it initially was for socioeconomic purposes. So there'll be one family that is rich and wealthy or an empire. A king will have an empire. And there'll be another king that will have an empire. And the empire will grow to the point where the empire is starting to touch. And it's like, okay, it's either I go to war with this person or I find a way to make sure that their empire doesn't supersede mine. Well, how can we solve this problem? Well, my son will marry your daughter. And then it's a union and the empires come together. Or, oh, well, I see that your son is very strong here. And I have a beautiful daughter. I don't know if my daughter can take care of herself. So you know what? Your son and my daughter get married. So their idea is that initially this is what the idea of marriage was about. And so therefore, we're now in an age where both male work, both female work. Where the world has grown and evolved and enlarged to a point where each person has the ability to be independent. So therefore, the purpose of marriage has run its course. Which again, I responded, what a wow. <laughs> okay. The third argument, it was a bit more subtle, but it rested on how they defined natural. When they say marriage is not natural, it rested on how they defined that. They essentially explained that one, marriages fail just about as much as they are successful, roughly around the same age. And the reason why it does so is because this is again, this is them, this is not me, this is them. Their, their, their argument is that human beings are not naturally inclined to stay commitment. As a matter of fact, actually difficult. Most people don't feel like being committed. Often have to be coerced or there has to be some social, like, you know, repercussions for not committing, which is the only reason why. But human beings left alone, especially men, supposedly, you know, they get to do whatever they want. And I, I watched this and I was very angry in my spirit. You know, those that don't really know me, those that know me will tell you, I'm a very argumentative person. I love when people, you know, try to make points from a logical sp standpoint because I'm like, okay, let's expose this and let's really, really break this down and see where your faults. So I wish I could have had a conversation with one of them, but unfortunately, I was just yelling at my TV and nobody was responding to me. So, you know, <laughs> eventually it didn't go anywhere. But as I read this and I'm like, God, where is this world going to? What direction is this world headed? 
if my generation and my time people are talking like this, what about the kids that are coming up? What about my kids? What about their kids' kids? What about three generations from now? I can't possibly even imagine. And I know that this, you know, this is not completely strange to you because as you live in this world and as you see this world, you are well aware of the ways that the world is trying to twist and turn and flip and switch everything around. See, it's, it's, it's funny. Like one of the things that came to mind when I heard this, that was funny to me. was like, okay, so you mean to tell me that you guys understand the idea that if something is not natural, it shouldn't be forced. You guys understand that idea. But when it comes to homosexuality, oh, well, that one, it doesn't matter that it's not natural biologically. It's okay. You understand the idea of how nature works. But everything in mankind and everything that the world is trying to do is trying to flip the script on what God has established. And see, this idea is not new. This idea is not is the exact same thing that happened in the garden. There was God. God first created man, and then he created woman to be his helpmate. And then he created all, then he had all things and said, now a man and his wife must have dominion over all the animals. See that order. God, he created man, created woman, and then all, and all things underneath him. Devil comes and flips the script exactly. The animal comes to the woman and says, did God say? Then the woman goes to her husband. The husband who was given the word that was supposed to instruct his wife. And say, this is what the Lord said. This is the, the purpose and the destiny of our family. She goes and says, well, did God really say? And the man relinquishes his place of responsibility. Perfect flip of how God instituted things. So this idea is not new. This idea of how the world is trying to flip and turn everything around is not new. But I have come to challenge you this morning to grow in grace. Amen. To grow in grace because this is the only way that you will endure what is happening. Grow in grace. Yesterday we heard about repentance as the first step to receiving the fullness of grace. But once you repent, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't cease there. It's only the beginning of the journey because you have just entered through the narrow gate when you repent. But there's a narrow path that is ahead of you that you must walk. And the only way to be able to make that journey, the only way to be able to make that walk is to grow in grace. Shall we open to 2 Peter if you're there already? Chapter 3. And we'll read from verse 8. Peter says, Dear friends, don't let this one thing escape you. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Verse 9, the Lord does not delay in his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and all its works will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be, which is holy in conduct and godliness, as you wait for and earnestly desire the coming of the Lord. It says the heavens will be on fire and will be dissolved because of it, and the elements will melt with the heat. But based on his promise, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. Verse 14 says, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. 
also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters, which there are some matters that are hard to understand. And it says the, the ignorance and the unstable twist these things to their own destruction, as they do also with the rest of Scripture. Verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard. So that you are not led away by the error of the lawless people and fall from your own stability. But what? But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord, Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. Paul says, but to grow in grace in light of all this foolishness that is going on in this world. Your response as a believer is to grow in grace. Your response as a believer is to grow in grace. Paul, I'm sorry, Peter establishes a few things here. First things first, the ruler of the world is coming. That's fact. Man is not the ruler of this world. Man is not the master of his destiny. Man is not the man driving the ship. But someday, the ruler of this world is coming. I started by saying something. When we all get to heaven, with a day of rejoicing, that will be. But it won't be there for everybody. And that's a fact. It will be rejoicing for some of us, but for some of us it won't be. That's a fact. And so mankind lives as though there is no God. They live as though I am the master of my faith. Today I decide what I eat, and so therefore tomorrow I will decide when we get there, and I have control over today and tomorrow. But that's not true. And the coming, secondly, will come with the judgment. It will come with the judgment. Either we go up there and we go meet him there, or he comes there and he meets us. But either way, there will be a meeting. <laughs> One way or the other, he will meet you and he will see you. And there is judgment that comes. Judgment based on his standards and his principles, not our standards and our principles. I find the idea of relative truth so bothering and so funny. I tell you, oh, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. There is no such thing as an absolute truth. All truth is relative. That's what they tell you. But just that statement is an absolute fact. So how are you going to say there is no absolute truth by giving an absolute truth? Again, okay, your logic is a little bit shaky this morning. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. In order to establish that there is no absolute truth, you're using absolute truth to declare that. But there is absolute truth. And the absolute truth comes from the nature and the character of God, which means it's immutable. It does not change. Whether you like it or not, whether you stretch it or not, no matter how much you cover your eyes and say, there is no son, there is no God. There is son, there is a God, and he has laws that come from his character. You cannot change it. These laws have existed before the foundations of the world. So who are you, small boy? Only 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. To think you can change something that's lasted for eternity. He's coming with the judgment. But we must be holy. We must be godly. Without spot or blemish. Without spot or blemish. It says recognize the ways of the untaught. And the ignorant. Just because people are book smart and so therefore they give information from book doesn't mean they are smart. Because true wisdom comes from the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. So which means when you skip that first step, something is amiss. Have you ever been going up a step and you miss one step? 
What happens when you do that? Okay, then. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you miss that first step, you're going to lose your teeth. You know what I mean? It's simple. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yet still, the world wants to ignore the one fact that stares them blatantly in their face, that we are not in control. We don't know all things. We don't know all things. We barely know anything about the human body. One, one, one of the, 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 one of the, the, the same series, one of the episodes was talking about DNA and essentially being able to manipulate DNA. And they, they found a strength, it's called CRISPR, where you're able to use it to manipulate it. So you can essentially, like if somebody has a disease, you can attack it from it, like a DNA level, a molecular level in that sense. And we just discovered that. Even then, so we're not even sure the full potential of that. There are questions still about that idea, not completely answered yet. There are depths of the ocean that nobody has ever reached. We've only discovered a small percentage of what's underneath the ocean. Yes, so we think we know everything. We are, we are in control, and we can declare right from wrong. But said, but you be holy and be blameless. Grow in grace. It says, do not fall from your own stability. There is a stability that God has established for you. There's a stability that God has put in place for you. And he did this before the foundations of the world began. As a Christian, there are certain things that are naturally yours and naturally your birthright. And so when you choose to, to leave the ways that God has placed before you to follow the ways of the world, you're falling from your own stability. What do I mean by that? Let's open to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians has one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book in the Bible. The way the author breaks it down is so beautiful. It's split perfectly in half. It starts the first half with what they call orthodoxy, which is essentially saying, God has done this, God has done that, God has done that, God has done this, he established this, he put this here. And then the second half we call octopraxy. Therefore, now you must do this. Therefore, you must do that. But today we're going to look at just one, and maybe a little bit of two. If you're there, say amen. amen. Oh, please wake up, boy. If you're there, say amen. amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. So when it says, don't fall from your stability, what is he talking about? Verse 3, it says, praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heaven. Pause right there. This is your place of stability. Acknowledge the fact that God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heaven. Which means if he has, you should never have a lack. You should never have a want. You should never have a need. Because everything that is the Father's, he has given to you through his son, Jesus Christ. This is your place as a son of God. This is your place as a daughter of God. This is your place as a child of God. Every spiritual blessing. See, People sometimes think that scripture uses words just because. But everything in scripture is very purposeful. I used to wonder, how come, you know, scripture only talks about mostly sons of God, sons of God, sons of God, sons of God. I'm like, ah, Jesus, what do you love my sisters? Like, what happened to the daughters? Only so I came to realize that back in the culture where they were speaking, only sons received an inheritance. Only sons received an inheritance. So when God says you're sons of God, though it's gender irrelevant, He's saying that you are a child of God, the one that is going to receive an inheritance. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven. Verse 4. It says, for he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be what? Holy and blameless in his sight. 
So when Peter says, be holy and be blameless, here the apostle is saying, before the foundations of the world, God declared you holy and blameless. Not something that you have to attain, not something you have to earn by your own right, but simply to live in it. He declared you holy and blameless. This is your identity. Before I could even say, yeah, my mom said this one will be called Michael. Because it means who's like God, and I want my son to, be, to, to follow in the image of God. So no matter what I grow up to do, no matter what I grew up to say, my name is still Michael. There will never be a point where I'm no longer called Michael. I may be a liar. I may be a cheater. I might sin. I might fall short. It doesn't change the fact that my name and my identity is Michael. I shared this with Lynchburg a few weeks ago. There's a difference between the idea of being accepted and being approved. There's a difference. Sometimes we fall short and God might not approve of our actions, but it doesn't change the fact that we're accepted in him. And unfortunately, sometimes Christians confuse the two. And they're confused in all types of ways. Some might say, well, I'm accepted, so therefore I'm approved regardless of how I'm living. Glory be to Jesus, I can sin and everything is all well. That's not true. Some people, on the other hand, God, I see my actions. I know my sins. I know my shortcomings. I know you don't approve of these things. And so I struggle with that idea that I am accepted. But before the foundations of the world, he chose you to be holy and to be blameless. So if you're saved, whether you like it or not, your middle name is holy and your before last name is blameless. Amen. Amen. Verse 5. It says, In love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us within his beloved. He predestined us to be adopted. He predestined. Before you had the chance to mess it up, he already declared, you are my child. Before you had the chance to say, God, you might have made a mistake. He said, I know. I know what you're going to do. I know that you're going to disappoint me here and there and there and there, but you're already chosen, predestined. This is your place of stability that Peter talks about. It's not fall from. Because, see, these things are already established. They're stable. They're set in place. There's nothing that you can do. It's established. This is your place of stability. This is who God made you to be. But you can live beneath that. You can live beneath the fullness of that which Christ purchased on the cross. Verse 7 says, we have redemption in him through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He said, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he planned in him. He made known to us the mystery of his will. So while the world is out there trying to figure stuff out and trying to find stuff and trying to chase this and chase that and run to the fullest extent of every inclination and every passion, said God has made, to, made known to us the mystery of his will. We don't need to be out there searching, well, how much can I drink before I realize, okay, this is probably going to kill me, so let's come back. How much can I smoke until I realize this is probably going to kill me, so I probably said, but how much can I give myself away to every human being that I come across before I realize this is not healthy for me? It says God already made known to us the mysteries of his will. Which means he can reveal to us the path that we should take. David said, order my steps in your word, dear Lord. 
Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Search my heart and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. I don't need to be out there searching. Because grace is here and it's here for me today. And if I only abide in him, if only I abide in him, once we repent, as the man of God said yesterday, the next step is to abide. These things you establish before the foundation of the world, which means it's not our job, it's not our responsibility to do anything supernatural to them, but simply to rest in his promises. What a friend we have in Jesus. And grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. If only we would carry everything to him in prayer rather than think it's our job and our responsibility to save ourselves and to redeem ourselves. Imagine when we were sinful and had nothing of worth or substance to prove to God. Yet still, he came to die for us. And now that we know better, we think it's our job to, 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 to earn something. If I was the only sinner in the world, if you were the only sinner in the world, Christ still will come to die for you. He will do everything he did just to save one. Because he's a shepherd that leaves the 99. He has made known the mysteries of his will. It says, for the administration of the days of fulfillment, verse 10, to bring everything together in the Messiah, both in heaven and on the things on earth. Verse 11 says, we have also received an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. So he establishes his will. And then he works out everything in agreement with it. Which means your salvation, he works it out in agreement to his will. Your holiness, he works it out in agreement to his will. Your purity, he works it out in agreement to his will. And don't hear me say that there is no responsibility on our part. Don't hear me say you can live however again. There is the idea of accepted and approved. We're talking about being accepted today. We're accepted, and he works out everything concerning our salvation according to his will. Verse 12, it says, So that we who have already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. He works out everything. He works out everything. He declares us holy and blameless. This is what it means to grow in grace, to simply abide in the fact that he declares us holy and blameless. So therefore, because he's declared you, you just live in it. You just live in it. It's, it's almost like being the son of a king, right? Being the son of a king. Even if the king is broke, your walk is so different. Like even if your, your father just lost all of his kingdom, your walk is so different. Even to the very last day, if let's say, you know, usually back in the day, they would have a big war, and when the one side wins, the first thing they do is eliminate all the royalty to make sure there's nobody to take the throne. And even to the point of walking to the guillotine to have your head cut off, there was a sense of confidence 
that the princes and the kings walk with because they know who they are. That is the idea that I'm talking about today. Knowing who you are. Growing in grace is simply walking in everything that your father has purchased for you. Everything that he sent his son to be the firstborn among many to simply walk in it. He established these things before the foundations of the world that you might walk in it. It's amazing that as believers, we live beneath that which is established for us. He's given us the power and dominion over all things. Yet we struggle to pray for even five minutes. He says, go into the world in my name. Cast out demons. Raise the dead. Heal the sick. I stub my toe. Pastor, please pray for my toe. <laughs> Every day, pastor doesn't get sleep. <laughs> pastor here, pastor there, pastor there. But he has given us everything necessary and pertaining to godliness. If simply we will walk and grow in it. If we will simply walk and grow in it. So this morning... A simple challenge is to remind you to walk in that which Christ has already purchased for you. Walk in that which Christ has purchased for you. Walk, simply walk. Walk with him and let him show you the mysteries of his will. Walk with him, let him lavish you with, with his love and with his mercies. Ephesians verse two, chapter 2 verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, but it's God's gift. Not from work so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared already in time ahead of us, so that what? So that we might walk in it. He prepared and established these things so that we might walk in them. Grow in grace. Grow in grace. No longer should the church have to use fear to, to manipulate you. I find this, especially in the African church, is the craziest thing ever. It's one of the things that gets on my nerves. They will have a five-day five program, and four and a half of the days will be, will be dedicated to casting out demons. There's this demon here after you, hey, they're running here. There's this demon here, hey, they're running here. Every day, Chase is like, if you knew who your father was, if you knew his power, if you knew his authority, if you knew that he declared the world by his word, and if you knew that he has made that power available to you, you don't waste time chasing things that are beneath you. And again, there's a time and place for warfare. So don't hear me say there's no place for warfare. But the majority of our Christian life should not be revolved around what somebody's going to do to me or what somebody did to me. I am growing in grace. I am above that. I am above that. I am with the one who's seated in the heavenly places. If you don't do this, God will punish you. If you don't do that, God will punish you. So therefore, every prayer meeting, I'm going because God wants to punish me. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. The entirety of our Christian life is surrounded by fear, whether what the enemy is going to do to us or what God is going to do to us. So therefore, if, there, if there's a service and that idea is not propagated, a lot of people don't even know how to pray or how to worship because there's no fear. Wait, what am I going to pray about? I, I don't know. God, you're good. Amen. 
The majority of your Christian work should not be surrounded with fear. Fear should not be the driving factor of your, of your belief, but it should be the grace of God, the grace that purchased you where once you were lost, but now you are found. If you just says we were once dead in our trespasses, not kind of limping, dead, completely dead, but God, but God, this is the reason for our belief. This is the reason for our faith. Period. But God. And that alone should be enough to motivate you, to drive you into his presence. That should be enough. We come and say, oh God, you are enough. Jesus, you are enough for me. But no, he's not enough for you. It's the fear of what might happen that is enough to drive you to church. But this morning, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the world. Lord, while the world is going that way, say, I know my God. I know who he is. I know what he said. I know why he said it. So therefore, I will follow him all the days of my life. Job said, though he slays me, yet so will I trust him. This morning, grow in grace. Shall we rise to our feet? Shall we rise to our feet?